Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you are new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Before I say anything else today, I'm actually going to ask you for a favor. If you've been a listener of Behind the Line for a little while now and you value this podcast, Would you please take a moment and rate and review Behind the Line on Apple Podcast? Your support and feedback goes a long way in making this resource more visible to others who work in first response and frontline work. Thank you in advance for that. I am so grateful to be joined today by a colleague and wonderful human, Jake Kim. Jake is a Catholic leader with over 20 years experience in various religious and therapeutic settings. He has a master's degree in counseling psychology and a bachelor of arts in theology with a concentration in catechetics. Jake has worked in adult faith formation, seminarian and priestly formation, trauma therapy, and has had a private counseling practice for over 17 years. Currently, Jake offers human and pastoral formation to religious leaders, is a consultant to various ministries and organizations across North America, offers an annual men's retreat in British Columbia, Canada, accompanies male leaders on their journey of faith, and co-hosts two podcasts, Restore the Glory and Way of the Heart. With two children at university, Jake currently lives in Abbotsford, BC with his wife, Heather, and one of their three children. Jake seemed like the perfect person to join me in a conversation on wholehearted helping. Today, we're going to dig into what it means to be helpers, the toll of the work in jading helping hearts, and our theories on retaining our humanity and hearts for helping under the pressure of heartbreaking systems. Let's dive in. Welcome, Jake. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. I'm really excited for this conversation that we're hoping to have around heart-based helping. Um, Before we jump in, I would love it if you could take a few minutes to tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do, who you are. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Um, Thanks for having me. It's great to reconnect Mm -hmm. with you and see you again. So Jake Kim, um, I am married for coming up on 23 years and have three kids. Uh, Two are in university right now, but home for the summer, which is fun. 
and um, <clears throat> one more who's in grade 11. So she'll uh, be going off to school here in a bit. I'll be an empty nester, Crazy. which is really weird because that means you're old. Yeah, uh, that will be. <laughs> that means you're old. That mm-hmm. means yeah. I, that means I'm old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's on the home front. Um, yeah, I love my kids. I love my wife, and mm-hmm. but it's real. We're we're not perfect. You know, we're. Yeah. I'm a. I was in counseling yesterday with my wife, so I tr- I live what I try to offer to other people. So, um. Yeah. I, my wife and I also run a charity. Uh, it's called Life Restoration Ministries. And um, it's basically an umbrella where we do all of our stuff out of. And I've been a therapist since 2006 is when I got my, finally got the paper that let me out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and I've done various forms of psychotherapy over the years for, you know, to varying degrees, to varying extents with varying populations. Um used to have a really big private practice and, um, that I got massively burnt out and now I have a very small practice, do podcasting as well and speaking and I'll stop there. All the things, all the things that we will also link to in the show notes. So when people fall in love with you in this conversation, they can go and find other places to enjoy your thoughts. Because I know like when I think back on the first time I met you, Um, And you probably wouldn't remember this because it was inconsequential, but I remember it super well. You came to our group counseling class when I was a student. So I think you graduated and a year later I started um, in the same program. And so you had come to our group counseling class and did this demo. And I remember hearing about you. And so the prof for that course had, had done this big like drum up, like Jake Kim is coming oh, and he's masterful yeah. at this. And we had like high expectations because of that drum up. And I remember you coming and I was a little like, well, we'll see if he lives up to the, you were amazing. And I remember leaving that class. And I think everyone in the class who could joined and did a private group with you for a period of time the rest of that year um, because it was so impactful to be in that class. And I remember just really admiring your capacity to be very authentic in that space, like to come into a room of 30 something students and show up so genuinely felt really consequential. And I remember thinking, he's not that, like, he hasn't been doing this that long. Like, that feels so amazingly natural for you to just Mm. embody this. Mm. Um, And I think every interaction I've had with you since then, that's always how I've experienced you is just wherever you are, that I have been with you, you just seem very you. Mm. And in a very, like, wonderful, engaging, connective kind of a way, I never feel like I need Mm. to, like, put something on with you or... Um, or like walk that, like, where do I stand with you thing? You know, like, I just feel like you bring yourself very wholeheartedly to things. And I've really appreciated that. So when I was thinking about this conversation, you were the very first person who came to mind because I just feel like that's who you've been anytime I've been with you. Wow. Can we just stop there and I'll just take this and like, listen to it. Just hold on. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate that, Lindsay. I have a great respect for you as well. There's there's some of us who went through the same formation and training and education, and 
-hmm. some of us kind of went out and, you know, put our shingle out and it worked. And you're definitely one of those people. And Mm -hmm. I've, I've referred many a people to your practice. So I'm, I'm honored that you've settled that. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. So in that, then it brings us into this conversation. Um, And, and I had prefaced this with you before we jumped on the recording that for me, so much of this conversation feels shaped by hearing so many people who are in first response and frontline work share about who they were when they went in Mm. um, and like their motivations, right? The intentions they had to be like, I wanted to make the world a better place. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to help Mm. Um, fairly universally. That's the the piece I hear. And then by the time they come to me with reflections on what's happened since they started, it's this place of like, I feel like I've lost parts of myself. I feel like I have lost aspects of my humanity. I feel like I have become this version of a person I don't like. Um, And and so that's kind of the jumping off point, I think, for me in wanting to tackle this topic. Hmm. Um, And I guess my my curiosity is for you, like when you think about helping professions, and that can include ours, what do you think are some of the significant challenges that are facing workers in engaging their work sustainably from a really genuine, authentic, heart-based place, like that place that I mentioned, I feel like you just do really well? Oh, thank you. Man, that's, that's an awesome, I'm glad we're asking the question because the, one of the first things that comes to mind is, uh, isolation is a killer. Yeah. And when you're, when you're in a helping profession and if you, you know, like take, take a firefighter. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the first questions that somebody asks you when they get to know you, what do you do? And then you're slotted into this position of being someone who is heroic, which is true. Uh, and yet, and faces really hard things. And then all of a sudden it's, uh, you can be treated as not normal anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think that experience of isolation is, is brutal. And then sometimes amongst the cultures themselves within various, you know, frontline workers, therapists, even pastors and all of that domain as well. Yeah. Um, there's these weird cultures of, I can't be weak. That means I failed. Uh, if somebody knows I'm struggling, I'll be fired. I'll be whatever. And so yeah. isolation to me is deadly because humans aren't meant to be isolated. And if you are, that's a fast track to burnout or all other kinds of stuff. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I think beyond that, uh, for me, if I'm honest, uh, I allowed myself to get isolated and Mm. yet I was saying to myself that, Oh, I'm connecting. And I was, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't connecting about the realities of what I was doing and the toll that it was taking on me. And I didn't want to be the guy who quit, right? I didn't want to be the guy who had to admit I couldn't do it. And so what that leads me to is my own personal dynamics that I bring into the workspace or into the helping Mm -hmm. professions. Like, I mean, it's the joke in the therapy world that the most the people who need therapy the most are the people who become therapists, right? And I think some of that's true. Yeah. And some yeah. of that stereotype. 
Um, I know yeah. we all had our people in our cohorts who are like, they shouldn't be a therapist. Right? So, and I'm oh, sure I was one of those people on somebody else's <laughs> list. So, um, but the point is, and this is something that I try to preach uh, to myself and other people is do your own work. Mm-hmm. And basically the stuff in my life that isn't congruent, that isn't whole, all it takes is pressure whether it be a work pressure, a family pressure, a life pressure, and it exposes and draws to the surface the flaws or the, the issues. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm not addressing the stuff underneath the surface or you know behind the line in my life and in my heart, yeah. work's going to bring that up. And if I'm not comfortable with it, then I'm doubling down now on isolation. Mm. That's, that's a bad combo is I'm struggling. I can't talk to anybody about it. I have to be strong. That's a, that's a pretty nasty recipe. Yeah, totally. Well, and I love, I love the, the identification about the isolation piece. One of the things I talk about a lot, um, around resilience training is this idea of like connections protection. Hmm. Um, so when we, when we reduce connection or we limit the diversity of our connection, we really like hold ourselves into this really tiny space and we lose protective factors, right? So like one of the things I talk with people about a lot is like, you have to have normal friends. And that means not other firefighters, yeah. right? Like you need to have friends who know that the world is good. You need to have friends who remind you that like, you know, right? Like dying people are not like the normal part right. of life. You need to be reminded that, you know, That's trauma right. is not the only thing that exists in the world. And yes, sometimes those friends are going to feel annoying because they live in this like ignorance is bliss place. And they're going to be days where that feels hard, yeah. but it's a hard you need to have mm. because otherwise your world becomes other people who agree with you that the world is awful and then all you're going to feel about the world is that it's awful because that's all you have coming in are those stories. Man, that's so good. Right. Yeah. I wonder that's... too about like expectations. Like that's a piece I see showing up a lot is like, yeah, we have this framework for what I imagine the work's going to be like, right? Like I got into it because I thought it was going to be oh, yeah. my opportunity to be a helper, right? Yeah. So like as a therapist, I got into it because I was going to like make people feel better and I was going to make nobody feel depressed or suicidal ever again. Right. Um, there's a never ending supply of depressed suicidal people. Yep. No matter how much I do the things, it doesn't stop. It won't stop. It will yeah. always be there. Yeah. Right. I think the same is true for any helping professional, despite my great expectations going in, it doesn't look the way I thought it was going to look, whether that's the pressure is way higher than I expected because we're understaffed and underpaid and undervalued. Mm-hmm. Whether that's one of the things I hear about a lot from people is like, I only get this much of the story and I never know how it ends, oh, wow. which I find fascinating, right? Like we think about like nursing and we have all these like TV shows that exist where yeah, yeah. we get as like viewers, we get to see the end of the story. We see the person go home and live happily ever after Yes. But the nurse in the story didn't, right? Yeah. Like, yes. and, and I think we've created this framework for believing that there's this like moment where we get to watch that person go home and know that their life is better because we did a thing. Hilariously, like every first responder I talk to talks about how like, you know, we showed up on scene and we performed CPR and then we turfed to the paramedics. 
And then the paramedics show up and they take them to the emerge and then they turf to the nurses and emerge and then emerge turfs up to a unit. And like, no one knows what happened. Right. To be able to go like, I actually did something that made a difference because all I did was compressions. And then I have no idea if they lived or died. You know what you're saying that jumps out at me is human beings are meaning makers and storytellers. Yes. And so what I'm hearing you say is everybody hates the experience of walking into a movie that you're hyped up for and arriving 30 minutes late and then having to leave 20 minutes early. That would drive you mental. And if that's what we're going through in our workspace, that's brutal. And I think, you know, there's a systemic response to that of people having like, the storytelling of the entire journey for that particular person that you, you helped. Um, I wonder if there's, you know, maybe there's a thing where the the frontline worker, maybe it's the firefighter who did the CPR on site. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they would have to fight for the rest of the story, which that's the two edged sword. Cause on one hand it helps them on the other hand, it's more work they have to do to like self care, but that's hard. To not it's be able to know hard. the whole story. It's super hard. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I remember having someone who shared with me that they saw this like newspaper clipping that came out about a, a person who had done yeah. something kind of cool and extraordinary yeah. and pieced together the name as a connection to a call they had done 10 years earlier on a kid. What? And being like, oh, he lived and then lived to be this Whoa. person who's doing this like really cool, amazing thing. And he goes, I sent that clipping off to every person who I remembered was on that shift. And I'm like, you remembered 10 years ago who was on that shift? He's like, I totally remember who was on that shift. I sent it out to all of them and was like, hey guys, this was that kid. And they were all like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing this. Like it felt so meaningful to have this like bookend on a call that was really hard and very uncertain and no one knew what would happen. And not only that like the kid lived, which is cool on its own. We did that. But then this kid who lived is like going and making the world a cool place. And we created the circumstances for that to happen. Yeah. Right. Like huge, but he goes, that's a once in a million, like on the job for something like 25, 30 years. That's like a never happens. No kidding, man. I, you know, I, I wish I could advocate for the, the supervisors and all of these roles, you know, cause it, it's something that yeah. I'm grateful that in the frontline workers, there's more conscientiousness about their mental health. Thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet those supervisors are probably wondering like, well, what do I do? How do I do it? Well, there's one idea right there is yeah. potentially have time carved out for each staff member to be able to follow up with a case or something that is haunting them or yeah. they can't shake let the story come full circle. And those things are huge. I mean, we know this in the therapeutic world. That's essentially trauma is this horrible dynamic that's occurred and the story can't conclude. Like there's just, it's just replaying the terrible parts over and over again. So that'd be, I mean, ideas for supervisors to advocate for their staff, you know, to be able to do too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that would be really cool. Practically, I'm curious how that would look, but I think it'd be so cool. But like, I also think it's a little bit like how we shape those expectations. Like I Mm. wish that training programs spent more time addressing 
Yep. Like these are some of the major hangups that are creating mental health challenges for people. And how do we on the front end acknowledge that what you are going into is not going to look or feel the way you think it's going to look and feel. Right. So like that glorious moment where you get to like do all the right things and that person lives and then you get to watch them go home. You don't get that very often. And so how do we prepare you to have different expectations? Because maybe if our expectations weren't so off kilter from reality, we wouldn't live so much time feeling disappointed or disillusioned Mm -hmm. by that experience. Mm -hmm. Maybe we would like learn to measure it differently. Yes. So like maybe our success isn't measured by whether that person lives or dies or goes home to a happy life. Maybe we measure it by like, I did great compressions, right? That's like, good. can we learn to adapt how we're thinking about the expectations? I, yeah. I, in, in my work, I would say that's an essential dynamic. And the right? language I use is we have to define what a win is. Yeah. And so what's a win right here? And I, I'm working these days with a lot of very high up religious leaders, mm-hmm. um, in the, particularly in the Catholic church. So just, just Google Catholic church scandal and you get a sense of what the kind of stuff we're facing here. Yeah. And so the win for them can be so difficult because all they're dealing with is an, is another person and another person and another yeah. person who's done harm. And yeah. so those dynamics are very, very tough, but redefining the win is, is huge. And like, just, it's exactly what you're saying, having to adjust expectations, having Mm -hmm. to acknowledge the temptation to have the savior complex and navigate that in reality, in community, honestly, I I don't know how you do it. Otherwise, honestly, I, I, I cannot comprehend how does somebody make it other than high levels of dissociation substances that help you check out um, mm-hmm. de- like, I'm like, no wonder there's a Anger, lot of addictions in these domains. Right. Like, yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, I think too, like we do this as therapists, right? Like I, I had a supervision session yesterday where I was working with a new clinician, hmm. um, graduated maybe six months ago. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about like, how do I know when I end, like when it's time to encourage a client to end? And I was like, well, tell me what's motivating your thought that it needs to end. And he's like, well, they're not making progress. And I was like, so tell me about what progress like looks like. What does that mean? What's the marker? Yeah. And he's like, well, like they're not getting better. Right. <laughs> I was like, right. But like, what's better? Like, how do we define <laughs> what's better? And is it your job to make them be that? Or is it your job to partner them with like acceptance and care and nurturing and the ability yeah. for them to be better? Right. Lindsay, like you are, you are articulating, I would say the, if not one of the core reasons I burnt out, like <laughs> yes. that is exactly why I yeah. burnt out because I, my concepts of working with someone was from severely traumatized to thriving. Yeah. That was my goal standards. And so yeah. well, what is thriving? It means they're all their entire family relationships are very solid. They're doing really well. Their work life is very solid, doing well. Their physical life's really solid. If they're come from a faith background, their spiritual life is really solid. Mm-hmm. That's like a lifetime, but I couldn't see it in the moment. Yeah. And I thought that was normal. 
I was like, yeah. well, what, what, what else would I be doing? I'm kind right, of, like, a, I'm a lame therapist. Job? Yeah. Isn't that what they're right. paying me for? And that's huge. Like so huge. Right. That, that killed me. So I wish. Well, it, and I think that's yeah. the piece. Like it is, it's not sustainable when that becomes the measure of our success in yeah. the job we're doing. I get you for one hour, yeah. once a week at best. Yeah. Um, you live this whole life pre me. Yeah. right? Like 30 years of your life has existed before I show up on the scene. And then I get you for this tiny little snippet of time. Yeah, I mean, for me, a win is, are you still alive and coming home to the children who really need you there? Because <laughs> so yeah. I don't want to own your funeral. I'm not yeah. okay with that. Yeah. Right. So like yeah. win for me that day, if yeah. that's, if that's what's happening. Yeah. Right. A little bit better of a win for me if you actually like connect with them a little bit and they like you, <laughs> right? Like right, that right. extra level up yeah. win, right? Like, but can we scale that? Like, I cannot undo all of the history that has happened yes. and own all of that for you. And I can't own the like many hours in a week that do not exist with me where you may yes. or may not be able yes. to implement all the things we, t- right? Like, yep. owning that will kill me. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons that I'm not as, uh, I don't spend as much of my time in therapy these days because I think I've seen the systemic needs of just people. Yeah. And so I'm trying to broaden out. And part of it is I like the other domains like, you know, education or whatever to mm-hmm. support a person. Cause you're right. Like if you look at the expectation of a therapist, I'm going to give you, this is a generous thing. Like I'm going to give you 30, 41 hour sessions yeah. and we're going to make some, pro- I remember doing with client, working with clients and these would be people who had like severe trauma, like early yeah. childhood, sexual abuse, things like that. And I would do the math for them periodically because they would get down on themselves and they'd be like, yeah. I have, I've been seeing you for a year, two years, nothing's changed. And I would do the math and I would say, Mm -hmm. let's take an hour, let's make it eight hour days and put it all together. And let's actually look at it like real lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it was almost always like, actually, we've been seeing each other for two weeks. Right. When you put all the numbers together, you know, like in the scheme of your 40 year lifespan. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I've worked with you for a month now. Mm-hmm. I think we're doing okay, you know, and, and there's the perspective shift, the expectation adjustment that has to be rooted in reality instead yeah. of the interpretations that we bring that, that aren't rooted in reality. Yeah. You're, you're mentioning something else that's coming to my mind, which is compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I noticed that the longer I was in therapy, and I've noticed this with friends who are cops, nurses, firefighters. Yeah our humor gets darker and darker. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? Like I can joke about some pretty dark stuff. What what's Mm -hmm. happening there. And it's like, I'm coping. I'm trying to cope because what I'm dealing with is so intense. And when you have to be caring or on or whatever it is, and you're doing that over and over and over again, that muscle gets tired and then it starts shaking and then it just doesn't want to do it anymore. And yeah. so I, I'm, I'm conscientious of the various ways and domains that that occurs for the varying people that are in, you know, 
the audience that are listening to this, that yeah. compassion fatigue, it's hard. And so one of the things I learned is that it's okay for me to be taken care of. And so I've consistently gone to therapy myself mm-hmm. and people look and go, Oh wow, you still have a lot of issues. I'm like, no, it's not about big issues. It's yeah. about if I don't do this, I will crash and burn again. Right. Um, it's our maintenance. Yep. It's maintenance. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and it's so important. Like I think that we forget that we're a resource, but we're also a limited one. Yeah. Right. So like, I know that I do really good work and I know that the work I do matters, but it can only matter to the extent that I let myself stay well enough to do it. So, right. Like if I did a job where I really need my car to do that job, if I'm like a delivery person, I probably put more energy into maintaining that car because I rely on it for my livelihood. I rely on this for yeah. my livelihood. You're the product. Yeah. I am the product. And yeah. so I have to set boundaries around me. I yeah. have to protect me. I have to refuel me. I have to do things that keep me well because if I'm not well, ain't nobody well. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, like, how do we like how do we invest in that? And you know, like you and I are in jobs where that's true. So is everybody listening. Like yep. the people who are listening to this are the best people at their jobs. And I think it's yep. one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I was so upset of hearing about people who, if my kid was sick, if my kid was injured, if my kid was in danger, wow. they're the people I would want showing up. They're like wow. the best people. And they're the ones that are like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, Lindsay. Oh. And it kills me to imagine that we're losing the best people yes. yes, because we are pitting them in positions where they are so burnt out and we fail to deliver them skills that help them to safeguard themselves within those systems because the yes. systems will always demand more. Yes. So how yes. do we hold that space that says, I still have to protect me in this because I'm a limited resource? But the I, world I really that. needs it. Yeah, you're talking about, to me, that's the the word that comes to my mind is stewardship. I'm yes. the only thing that I have to offer people. So I have to steward myself well, otherwise yeah. it'll run out. You know, like, it's. I yeah. love the car analogy because every single car comes with the book that's in the glove compartment and the book tells you all the stuff that needs to happen, how you <laughs> totally. use it. And, At what and intervals. It, yeah. And all that, if you don't do it here, right. And it, what's funny is my in-laws, they're from Scotland. And I remember one time my father-in-law, uh, was driving his car and there was smoke coming out of the back. And I was like, uh, is that, a, I don't think that's good. And he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't want to pay for, I don't want to pay for, you know, they're just trying to take oh. my money. <laughs> and I looked up at the little clear sticker in the corner of his rear view mirror. It was like three years ago when he got his oil <laughs> changed. And I thought, okay, well, Garrett, you know what happened? His car broke down and it didn't work anymore. So he had to buy a new car and he ended up spending way more money on the new car than it would have been to maintain the one he had. And it was, it was so ironic because he refused to steward yeah. the thing that he was using. I love the word stewardship. I've actually been using it a lot in my life lately. And I love that that's the word that came up for you. And I think what's interesting is like when we, because it's not just about work, right? Like it's not just about, I need to steward this well to do the job I do well. It's also that 
again, if I'm a finite resource, I only have so much of myself to offer my work, but also like my whole life. Right. So like who I then am when I come home at the end of the day. And you touched earlier on the, like, it's no wonder that we have so many first responders and frontline workers who struggle with addictions who right? like, I see the divorce rate for that population is so much higher. The rate of like poor parent child relationships is much higher, right? Like there are all of these ways that it's showing up Mm -hmm. in how we then feel like this is all I have left to cope. Right. And I think that's the part that I feel really sad about is like, we've got these people who really wanted to make the world a better place Mm. and it's hard for them to even just like come home and be with the people they care most about. Yeah. That's tragic. It is true. I mean, that Lindsay, that is probably some of the most difficult, but honest feedback I've gotten from my own family Mm. is it used to be, Oh no, it's Tuesday. And that's how it was when my kids were younger is Tuesdays. For some reason, I had a lot of clients who were just really had a lot of intensity. And I, I mean, if I can say it and I mean this in all the right ways, like I loved those people. I really Mm -hmm. wanted the best for them. Um, It was not a romantic thing. I, I, I cared deeply for them, but it was a lot. And so I would come home. And I would walk through the door. And here's the sad part is I wasn't aware of how I was walking through the door because I was more like carrying myself through the door. And Heather and my kids were awesome, but I've come to find out later that they, they knew that it was Tuesday Mm -hmm. and it was like, oh, it's Tuesday. And that's really sad for me that my kids have this impression of Tuesdays now. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, it's Tuesday. And they're, you know, maybe they'll be in yeah. therapy one day going, I don't know why, but I have this weird hatred of yeah. Tuesdays, you know, <laughs> and that's probably where it'll end up. But totally. I didn't even see it. And then mm-hmm. when it was particularly my wife started to ask me to look at it, I was really defensive about it because I was like, mm-hmm. do you realize what I'm doing? Do you realize these people I'm taking right. care of? And I didn't have boundaries. Mm-hmm. I didn't have my capacity to say no was really low because I carried a lot of shame and a lot of need Mm -hmm. for validation. And I was good at therapy. I still, I still am good at it. And I brought a lot of young places in me, I think there. And, um, I was bringing more to the workplace than maybe I should have. And I got weirdly attached to it, you know, for the wrong kinds Mm -hmm. of ways. And I don't know if that's everybody, um, but I know if that is going on, that stuff is powerful. And so you get defensive of it. People try to tell you something about it and you snap back. And, Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the sad part, and you and I've seen it is you see the kid of the doctor you mm-hmm. see the, and I used to see them as adults. Like, yeah, my dad yeah. was a doctor. My dad was a police officer. My dad was a, a lawyer mm-hmm. or whatever. And I never saw them. Yeah. And you have this systemic generational dynamic that goes on. And yeah, I, I, it's hard because you're doing good work. And yet mm-hmm. when you help this person, that other person ends up suffering. And that tension is brutal. That's a really hard tension to manage, um, which I love what you're doing. Like that's the point of your podcast is to try to support yeah. people in those 
tensions. It's awesome. Yeah, totally. It, it is a hard tension. And I think it's like one of the things I think is advantageous in my work is I pick a lot of the things I'm doing, right? Yeah. Um, I can, I could see less clients. I could, right? Like I can, I have the power to tweak some of the things I take on to recalibrate that balance if and when. Um, and I think the really hard thing for a lot of people who are listening is that they're in systems that kind of don't give a crap. (laughs) So like, right. Like still need you to show up for that overtime shift or are still calling out because they're understaffed and are desperately trying to just get three more butts in chairs, um, to cover. Right. And, and it's hard because there will always be that level of demand. The system is not going to change substantially it's just not yeah and and then that's what we're working within right yeah 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 i'm i'm thinking of friends that are nurses that like you said they're the best ones Mm -hmm. they're the ones that you want when you're sick to be at your side and what's weird is that they also seem to be the ones who will take the shift because they're thinking of you know, John, who was in a car accident and is on life support. And if their coworker doesn't show up, who will be there for John? And so their, their heart is so good. Mm-hmm. And then you do that enough. They're not there anymore for any more Johns or anybody else, you know, totally. that's there. It's like, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. Well, and it's funny. No, it's not funny. Funny is the wrong word. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating because it's not even just about the Johns. It's so often what I hear about is if I don't go in, I know what it feels like to be the nurse who's on when it's short oh, wow. and drowning. Wow. And so it's like a rescuing my coworkers. It's wow. I would want them to do it for me if I was the one on. So wow. I'll do it for them. And the challenge with it, and this is hard. I, I admit this is hard what I'm about to say. Yeah is if we don't let the system fall apart, sometimes Mm. people up the chain don't know how broken it is. So if we're always finding a way to make it okay, right? If we're always answering the call out, we're always finding ways to just stem the flow of how bad it is. Um, Higher up the chain looks down and goes, we're staffed, it's fine. Or we're close enough, like we're understaffed, but it's like we're in the realm of reason. Right. Um, so we're fine. We don't need to do any urgent hiring. We don't need to push anything. We're it's fine. Right. Um, I've joked a little bit that if I were to write a book right now, it would be called Burn It All to the Ground. Um, <laughs> because that's where I feel like I'm at is just encouraging everyone to like, don't go, let it fall apart, let it burn to the ground, because it's the only way we're gonna get a real look at how bad it really is. Yeah. For anyone in a position of authority to do anything about it, yeah, yeah, which why, sucks. It does <laughs> suck. It I I don't understand that dynamic of why is it in these domains, the essential services, the like. I don't understand why are these the domains that I'm sure there's people out there with smart answers, but I mean it's true, like the. You know, you see the TV show where the boss actually has to come down and do the other person's job and then their their attentiveness and their compassion goes up and they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea because, mm-hmm. you know, sitting at a desk all day is very different than 
yeah. like putting out a fire or chasing down a bad guy or CPR or like IVs right. or whatever, you know, everybody's yep. doing. It's just a whole different experience that, and yeah, when you let it burn to the ground, that's so hard for the people who care because they yep. think of all the, you know, totally. but, 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 but we can't, you know, and yeah. Yeah. What, what, what do you like? What, if it burns to the ground, what happens then? And how do you resurrect it? Cause if all it does is burn and it doesn't come back to life, then I don't, it feels just, just now we're just sitting in ashes. Like, yeah. Where do you go? Totally. I mean, the honest answer is I have no idea what it okay. would look like. Sure. I think I have some thoughts about what I would hope it to look like. I get you. And I think the challenge, I was having a conversation with a friend over the weekend about this. Um, we were talking about the problem with leadership and management. Yeah. Um, and this person works for a policing organization. So they get it. <laughs> I said, like, I think the challenge is, is that he was talking about how his leadership doesn't do good at leading. And I said, right, from your perspective, right? Yeah. So like as the boots on the ground people, yeah. they're not a great leader but they're exactly the kind of leader that their leadership loves because wow. they're the kind of person who doesn't give a crap about you and your home life, you and your whatever. He wow. just needs you to show up to work and do the job wow. and meet the standards and hit okay. the quotas. Yeah. And as long as you're doing that, he's happy. Mm. And that's the, to be in leadership in so many of these systems, it almost invites a certain kind of person I get and you. it's the kind of person who doesn't connect as much to the like humanity of what we're doing here yes. because it's the kind of person who is willing to make the hard calls to cut yeah. and willing, right? Like kind of willing to do the dirty work. Yes. The challenge to that is, is that it has this trickle down effect that makes a mess out of all of the actual frontline work. Yes. If we let it, to some extent, the reason that continues to operate is because on paper, it still looks like it's functioning. Sure does. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so the people up in those levels don't have to be accountable to how broken it is because it's only broken for the people who are operating the frontline part of it. It yes. hasn't burned to the ground. Yes. Theoretically, if it were to burn to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still not my favorite answer to the things. I, I wish that so. weren't the answer. But yeah. if it is. I think there's an opportunity for there to be a real hard look at accountability for those levels of leadership that say, how did we get here? And what's wrong here at this level of leadership that's created this monster? Yes. And how do we then learn to implement different systems and put in different kinds of people who are motivated by different kinds of things and actually care about the entirety of the system, yes. the entirety of the flow? To yes. support it being more sustainable for everybody. Yes. But that will mean dollar dollar bills. It will mean, yeah. right, like time and energy. It will mean like investing differently yes. into this thing. Yes. And I think unless it really falls apart, no one wants to look hard enough to do that. Uh, what I'm hearing you say, which, which is, it's almost like... When it burns to the ground, you're forced to look at the reality. And there's a convenience when it continues to function that you can look the other direction. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you have to face reality when it yeah. burns to the ground. And well, and I think it would burn like, yes, that and yeah. like right now, when there's 
right now, like BC has this paramedic staffing ambulance shortage, right? We keep hearing okay. about it on the news, the long yeah. wait times yeah. for ambulance services. Yeah. A lot of the articles that are written, a lot of the, you know, radio shows and newscasts that are talking about it, talk about the paramedics, right? Like they're talking about like, they're the problem. We just, uh, we just need more dedicated people. We just need people who show up for their shifts. We just need right? Like, why aren't they coming? We've got lots of them. Why aren't they coming to work? Why aren't they doing? Uh, why are they calling in? What's the problem? Right. But we're not asking the question that's like, but why aren't they coming to work? They're not coming to work because they're burnt out because this level of leadership is failing to support, right? Like, yes. we're not looking up the chain. We're just yeah. asking, we're like blame shifting, right? So we put yes. all the blame on the front line, Right. When COVID was happening, well, why aren't nurses showing? Well, nurses are tapped. <laughs> like yeah, they're fried. Yeah. Why are we not asking the question of why leadership isn't better and more effectively supporting them so that they can keep showing up? Wow. Right. Wow. And so I think part of it is like burn it to the ground so that we stop pointing the finger at the people who have the least amount of power to make it better. Yes. Do you, have you seen that you're reminding me of one of my favorite scenes from TV? Okay. Uh, I'm assuming you've heard of the show New Amsterdam. I love New Amsterdam. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. How can I help? Yeah. So yeah. The, there's the scene when he's early on in the job and he calls everybody in and he mm -hmm. like fires half the people. Yes. That is, I don't know why, but it's such an inspiring scene. And I think it's on multiple levels. One he's it's like finally yeah it feels like hope finally and but he's not a jerk about it he's really yeah. direct totally but you can see the goodness of his heart coming out and you yeah. know what's funny is that when i watch that what it does for me is it it begs a question am i willing to do what's required mm. for for the really good to occur not just the yeah. mediocre yeah. to occur and I, I have to watch things like that and yeah. remind myself of things like that because, you know, there, there's this concept of think about your eulogy virtues. It's like yeah. from um, the seven habits of highly effective people, I think. Um, and that's the kind of thing I would want on my headstone. That's the kind of thing I would want somebody to say at my funeral is, you know, he was he was willing to get into the arenas that were messy so that at least hopefully something could grow and could become better. Yeah. And I, I love that scene. And it, I, I kind of, mm -hmm. I'm like, there we go. That's the kind yeah. of guy that I want to be, but it's scary, you know, to it's walk in those situations. Scary. And, and you know, what's weird is that I think partly, partly for that character, he has perspective because of his own health issues. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, he sees the world <clears throat> in a different way than most other people, which motivates him to make decisions that really matter instead of playing it safe. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, and I think I, I have this joke. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for this later in life and that's fine. But I have this joke about my youngest daughter. So my youngest daughter is my more boisterous child. She's yeah. intense and she's fierce and she's her mother in a smaller body. Um, she's stubborn as hell. Like she yeah. just, she's all the big feelings. 
Um, and I, I often joke that she's going to make a really amazing human someday if I let her live that long. Um, like that's the job is I just have to like, let that happen. I just have to like, not kill her first. Um, and, and that's the hard part because right now it's hard to parent, but oh my God, she's going to be like a mover and a shaker someday. And I think of it kind of like that, like to get to the point where you can be in a position to have the kind of authority and influence to integrate and like infiltrate the existing culture and make meaningful change at like a higher systems level is a magical goal. I think it's so good. It's why we've run this dare to lead series twice on the podcast is because Mm. it's the only version of a not burn it to the ground reality that I can imagine is how do we create like a generation of equipped leaders who are willing to go the distance to get the culture shifted. It has to be an inside job. It's like an internal rebellion. That's the only way it happens. Mm. But how do we, how do we let ourselves get there when everything presses against it? And so we feel that resistance as people and we're impacted by that resistance. We're burnt out by that resistance. And so the really good people who have that kind of heart that he has in New Amsterdam, who really do want to like wholeheartedly bring themselves into the work that they do and into leadership that would transition and transform some of these systems. It's so hard to hold on to that and get there when there's all of this stuff that pushes that back and says, no, that doesn't fit. No, we don't want that. No, that doesn't, right? Like it can't, it can't flourish here. I think what's magical about that show is he had this opportunity to create that space. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are spaces where it can happen and is happening, but they're hard to find and it's hard for people to hold on long enough to get there. Uh, yeah, I I agree. It's it's reminding me of something that I've been inspired to focus in on in my own life, which is a, an, a really hard question to answer, but to me, one of the most important questions, and it's, what am I all about? Yeah. And when I know what yeah. I'm all about and what matters most to me, then the question when I go to work every day or do whatever I do is a question of, integrity as opposed to a figuring it out in the moment. Yeah. And so if I'm a person who values authenticity or I'm a person who values honesty or whatever, then if that's who I am and that's what I'm all about, then I don't have to figure that out. Should I say something? Should I not? How do I do this? How do I, you know, that for me is really helpful because I get overwhelmed in all the situations that are demanding a lot and there's a, there's a lot of situations that demand a lot these days, Mm -hmm. but to figure it out in the moment is too much. And then the moment's gone and I I have regret and I would have, could have, should have stuff. And it hasn't been easy to step back and say like, what am I all about? But once some of those things get settled, I can't say that I'm like, I'm there, you know, that would just be a a lie, but some of it, it is settled. And then what's weird is that I, when I, you know, lay my head down on, on the pillow at the end of the day, I have to ask myself, was I myself today? Hmm. Uh, and I like that question way better yeah. than who screwed me over today. Totally. You know, it puts some agency back in my corner and 
it's, it's risky and it's hard. So I think about your daughter and I think about, I mean, you, I know you're joking and you're a great yeah. mom and it sounds like what, you know, parenting is a lot of this where we're trying to help our kids discover who they are mm-hmm. and then release them on the world in yeah. all the wonderful ways. Yeah. And when that hasn't happened, we, we were tossed about by all the changing of the tides and all of that. And mm-hmm. we can't weather a lot. Um, and I think the systems, when we're, when we know what we're about, systems start to shake a bit that are unhealthy because wow, these people aren't going to tolerate things. They know what matters and they're standing up for, and they've thought about what matters. They've Mm. genuinely pressed in and come to terms with it. Um, for me, that's been really, really helpful. Um, and, and a link to that, this is one of the things that brought me to was answering the question of, um, am I a therapist was the question I had to wrestle with because yeah. what it got me into was this dynamic of, is that my identity? Mm-hmm. What happens to me if I'm, I don't offer therapy to anybody else? Do I still matter? Mm-hmm. And the weaving together of my identity with what I do is a touchy, difficult situation that I've had to be very careful with yeah. because I can bring too much of that to the workplace and mm-hmm. that's not that's not good. And then, yeah, like I said earlier, there's too many dynamics in the room that have nothing to do with why I'm in the room. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Hmm. There are so many good pieces in that. I'm having a hard time picking which one to go. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that there's really cool pieces in terms of that authenticity thing, like that question about who am I? Yeah. And it's interesting because I actually like that question even better than like, how was your day? Or how was my day today? Like, can we evaluate differently? Again, yes. kind of back to that measuring stick question. Yep. Like, how do we measure what a win looks like? How do I measure my day? How do I measure, did I feel aligned today? Did I feel like I operated in a way that felt like genuine? Do I feel like I was a version of me that I can look back on and be like, yeah, that was pretty good. We did good, right? Um, And maybe that gives us a different power to evaluate than was the day good or bad? Because that can be defined by so many other things. Did yes. someone cut me off in traffic? Did I, right? Like, did I get my coffee this morning? Like so many things right. affect how I think about my day. Right. But who was I today? How did I show up today? And can I feel pleased with that? Yeah. And if not, me- how do I want to tweak it? Yeah. I'm thinking about the, the, I mean, imagine being a paramedic on the job and maybe you have the radio on and you hear people ripping paramedics. Mm-hmm. that's really hard because the job's mm-hmm. already hard, let alone when yeah. the, when the people are yelling yeah. at you from the sidelines saying you're not doing a good enough job. And mm-hmm. like, how do you weather those things to me? That that's a critical thing is I, I'm a big fan of Teddy Roosevelt's and this is daredly. This is Brene Brown through yeah. and through his man in the totally. arena. Man in like, the arena. That is a huge, like I literally have it on my wall right over here. Yeah. And I, I look at it regularly and I have to like, it's, it isn't the critic who counts. Yeah. I, that is a hard reality to purify out, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And that part of that journey has been exactly what we're talking about right now is yeah. like, what am I all about? And yeah. I evaluate my day 
in a standard against myself. It's, I'm not evaluating my day based on what the radio show said about me or what did I get likes on my Instagram or, you know, so many ways that we, like you're saying, we can evaluate it. Yeah. Um, to me, that was a fairly solid one. Totally. Well, and I think that that's maybe one of those pieces that can be protective of um, that kind of capacity to be wholehearted in the job without letting it kind of squash your humanity is yeah. that like, regular touching in with who am I? Like one of the things I think happens a lot is just the like monotony of life where we just like show up and do the thing and go home and do those things and go to bed and do it all again. And when we get caught in that cycle, we get very mindless about who we are and how we're showing up and how we're measuring what the winds look like and, and interact with it. And so to be more intentional about, kind of touching in with those pieces with some amount of regularity to say, actually, I need to sit with this question of how do I feel about who I was today? And is that aligned with the kind of person I choose to be in the world? And if not, what's getting in the way of that? And how do I account for that? Whether that's, I probably need to go do some therapy to, to kind of get back into myself or, Um, I maybe need to cut back on the drinking that's numbing me from being able to really connect with this question well, or right. Like whatever those things I need to be around more people who remind me that laughter is a good thing that exists in the world. Like there's lots of versions of what that might look like, but if we don't pause to ask the question and to sit with the discomfort that might live there, we will not ever have an answer and we will just continue through the monotony until we're so burnt out that we can't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think hopefully, at least this is my journey, is what I do when I go to work every day is a place to express who I am. It's not necessarily where I define myself. Yeah. Um, And that nuance might seem minor or small, but it's been a really big dynamic for me because I can, I can, the critics can be loud and the, and I'm sensitive to them. Um, and so I'm thinking about, I mean, especially in, in with your audience of frontline workers, because the nature of the work is so sensitive, Mm -hmm. one bad day has significant ramifications. And so the pressure cooker is super high to perform well. And I mean, you see it a, a lot in the, in the, um, police domain because one wrong assessment, one wrong thing, and you're splattered yeah. all over the news for all kinds of stuff. And maybe, maybe you just had a, a lapse of judgment, which happens to people. Yeah. Um, but if your identity is wrapped up in that, that is like really totally. a bad day. Yeah. 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 It's super destabilizing. Yeah. It would be. Yeah. All right, Jake. I feel like we probably need to wrap up, but I am so, (laughs) so grateful for this time with you. Um, And I feel like we've not solved any of the world's problems today, but I love (laughs) that. I I feel like we've like named them all and put them on the table at least. Yeah. And maybe poked at a couple of ideas of how to, how to maybe at least band-aid some things for a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks so much for having me. And you know what, something that I, I, I've thought about that it's just coming to mind right now and I, I want to yeah. wrap up with this is um, I don't, right now, 
I don't have to say anything to your audience. And honestly, I feel like there's a lot, there's, there's this whole thing where, you know, when any news cycle comes out, there's this, oh, it feels like we have to thank the frontline workers. And I agree with that. But I imagine some of them feel like it's empty Mm -hmm. and it's just rote. You don't understand. And I genuinely want to say thank you. Like I genuinely want to say thank you. I, I go to, I'm doing jujitsu now and I roll is what they call it. Like sparring with firefighters and police officers. That's the majority of the people there. And so these are people who are in my life now and I'm genuinely grateful for what they do every day. I have friends who are nurses and I see what they pour out. Like I'm genuinely grateful. And so I just want to say thank you and not like the, and I'd like to thank all the people who blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It's a, it's a news take, right? No, like genuinely. So thanks for what you're doing. And thanks to, for your listeners for what they do. Like it, it matters and I'm grateful. I appreciate it, Jake. Thanks so much for being here. It was great to have you. Thanks. I want to extend one more really big thank you to Jake for making the time to join me today. As we wrap up today, let me remind you that if you value this podcast and want to help us in our mission to support frontline wellness, there are three ways that you can help us to do exactly that. Number one, you can rate and review behind the line on Apple podcast or wherever else you might be listening. Number two, follow me on social media at Lindsay A. Foss and engage with me and this amazing little community that we're building there. Every time that you like, comment, and share our posts, you help us to spread like wildfire thanks to the magic of the algorithm. And last but not least, share this resource and our other resources with those you know. If you would like a poster or info cards about the podcast for your workplace, send me an email at support at thrive-life.ca. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But way more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.